Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. In a few weeks, we're going to be watching the Olympics. Thousands of athletes have trained for years, even decades, in hopes of being the world's best in their field, whatever that may be, walking away with fame, recognition, and that elusive gold medal. It's a unique honor awarded only to a few. As a matter of fact, in 2016, only 307 athletes were found worthy to receive gold medals. It was actually less because some athletes received two gold medals or more. With the Olympics in mind and being worthy to receive a reward, we want to change our focus to spiritual matters. How many are considered worthy to be honored or praised for redeeming the world? There's certainly lots of religious figures competing for that title or that role, including Allah or Buddha or Vishnu or Brahma from the Hindu religion. But in God's kingdom, there are no runner-ups. There's no silver medals. There's no bronze medals. There is only one who is worthy to be praised, and that's Jesus Christ. It is he and he alone who's worthy to be worshipped. It is he alone who's worthy to open the seals. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we will consider who is worshiping Jesus and why he's worthy of praise. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Two weeks ago in Revelation 5, there was a loud cry from an angel searching for anyone worthy to open the scroll with the seven seals. And John wept because there was no one found worthy to open the scroll to reclaim and redeem the earth from the rule of evil. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was worthy to open the scroll and look into it until someone, the Lion of Judah, the one who had overcome, presents himself in the appearance of a sacrificed lamb. And that's where we'll begin this week's lesson. Oh, I tell you, God is so wonderful. He loves us so much that here in this passage, he gives us one final opportunity to know who Jesus is, to know who's worthy before the wrath is poured out in Revelation 6. He wants us to understand all of Jesus, his redemption, his salvation, his being the promised Messiah, the one who's given authority in heaven and earth. So this week, we're going to return to that heaven. We're going to continue that picture that you just talked about so that we can see who in heaven and on earth is worshiping the lamb who was slain. Last week, we discussed how only God understands the future and can write it. We talked about how only Jesus is worthy. No one else is worthy. And this week, we're going to focus on why Jesus is worthy. Those many attributes that are talked about. But first, we, we're going to see the people in heaven who are worshiping him. So let's begin with Revelation 5, 8. It says... And when he had taken the book, that's Jesus taking the scroll out of the hands of God, showing his authority, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And we saw those in chapter four. They're around the throne of God. What does that tell you? It tells you that they're worshiping the lamb. In scripture, specifically too, in the book of Revelation, John tried twice to worship an angel because of what he was seeing and hearing. And the angel would not let him. He said, worship Jesus only. 
So when these people fall down before the lamb, they're worshiping him. Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, that's an unusual description. What does a harp mean? Well, there's harps mentioned throughout all of scripture. And they're really a sign of a musical instrument that was used to praise and worship God. And then you have the golden bowls full of incense. If we go back to the establishment of the tabernacle in Exodus 30, when God described and then had built the altar of incense, that altar of incense sat directly in front of the curtain or the veil, which was directly separating the holy place from the holy of holies where God dwelt with his people. The idea, according to Exodus 20, you could read verses 1 through 8, incense will be perpetually before the throne of God. So here we have these elders who have golden bowls full of incense. This incense isn't just a wonderful smell. It's the prayers of the saints. God always had incense before him. And now he's saying it's the prayers of the saints. That's the intense aroma before the throne of God that God desires are our prayers to him. And what are prayers? Are they just asking for things? No, they're a form of worship where we honor God for who he is, what he's done, confessing our sins, asking for what we need according to his will. But it's all about getting to know God, getting to know his will for our lives, and then following through with it. It's pretty amazing to read that. These are the prayers of the saints that are actively being used in worship in heaven. And we are the saints. According to scripture, the believers are saints. So to think that whatever prayers you have prayed in the past and whatever prayers you are praying now, they don't just go up into nowhere, into nothingness. They go into the very presence of God in heaven, and they are there treasured by God, part of this wonderful worship actively being used. That almost gives me the chills to think that any little prayer that we've prayed is treasured by God as part of worship to him in heaven. The psalmist explains that in Psalm 141 too, when he says, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. That's what these heavenly creatures are using as they bow down to worship Jesus. In verse 9, then it says, and they sang a new song. Interesting, a new song. What does that mean? It means a totally new song, never been sung before. So why should the song be new? Well, because they're in heaven right now. They are worshiping Jesus. They are showing us through this book how important Jesus is, how important his salvation is for all of us, for all eternity, but specifically now at this time in human history, right before he's going to open the scrolls to understand how worthy he is. And he is the only one worthy to open these scrolls. And I just think about the songs of redemption and how each new soul that would come to the Lord, each new person who would put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's a new song that they would sing. You know, there's rejoicing over every sinner that's been lost and then comes to the Lord. And so 
all of that rejoicing and praising of God has to do with that in a lot of ways, I think. Absolutely. These people are now singing, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. So remember, John had wept in heaven because no one was worthy. This new song says, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is God because he was slain, it says, and he purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus is worthy because he was slain. He purchased us with his blood. He saved us as we're going to see in the next part in verse 10. He has made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God that they will reign upon the earth. So we will be priests. We will be kingdoms for God. We will live forever. We see Jesus as the only one who's worthy. What does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, it's important because sin entered in the world in Genesis chapter 3. When it did, then man was relegated to death, both physically and spiritually. So God in Genesis 3.16 promised a redeemer to save us from our sins. And that's Jesus Christ. We see the thread of salvation woven throughout all of scripture. Man tends to want to be on the throne of our lives. We saw that with Adam and Eve, who not only disobeyed God, but then they blamed each other and blamed Satan for their sin because we want to be in charge. But God says, oh, no. That is not possible. I am the only one who's worthy. And I'm going to have Jesus Christ, part of the Trinity, give his life for each person so we might be saved. So I'm reminded of the important verses in Romans 3 that really explain to us why Jesus who was slain is our redemption, our Savior. It begins in verse 21 by saying, Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What this is saying is the law witnessed to the Messiah. But now we are at the time where the Messiah is going to come. And that's, of course, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who will believe, for there is no distinction. Clearly, the righteousness of God comes through Jesus Christ. He goes on to give us a very significant verse in Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, God isn't just sending Jesus as a token. God is sending Jesus to cover the sins of mankind because every one of us, from the moment we're born, is a sinner. We're born into original sin, but we also have a sin nature that causes us to sin. Therefore, we need a Redeemer. When the word all is being used in Romans, and when it talks about you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation, that's everyone. None of us is exempt from sin, and none of us is excluded from salvation if we put our trust and our love and our belief in him. And how blessed we are that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That means that if we'll believe in Jesus, in this Jesus that we're reading about here, we're going to have everlasting life. But that passage also says that people will perish. And that means people who don't believe in Jesus will perish. Going on in Romans 3, after we find out we're sinners, In verse 24, it says, being justified as a gift 
by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified means that when we believe in Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned, justified, justified, never sinned. God has paid the penalty. And it says he redeemed us through his redemption. Redemption means paying the price. If you and I committed a crime and we were standing before the judge, the judge would sentence us. Well, this would be like Jesus standing before the judge and saying, I'm going to take their penalty. I'm going to take whatever the consequences are for their sin. That's what he's done for us through his redemption. And only he is worthy to do it. Verse 25 of Romans 3, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So God displayed Jesus as propitiation, a satisfaction of God's wrath over sin in Christ's blood. So through Christ's death and then through faith, through our faith in believing in Jesus. This was to demonstrate God's righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Why did he pass over sins? He passed over sins for those who would believe in Jesus Christ, who justified us before God, who satisfied sin through his propitiation, who redeemed us by the blood on the cross. And the only way that we can have a relationship with God is through believing in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. That's also why Jesus is worthy. As soon as you absorb that and take that in and the enormity of what he did for us um, in his grace to sacrifice himself to redeem our sins and to buy us for himself so that we could be a kingdom of priests in heaven with him, then you do want to praise him. And the praise just comes effusively in the next few verses. Why would we not want to call Jesus worthy? Why would we not want to turn to him? Unfortunately, Satan's alive and well. Unfortunately, we have a sin nature. And we also have a propensity to do what we want to do. And if I believe in God, we think he's going to make me do things I don't want to do. Send me off to Africa or some other place and I don't want to do them. I like my life. Well, this is a short life. It's only 70, maybe 80 years, according to Psalm 90, verse 10. And eternity is eternity. Wouldn't we rather be living with and for Christ here on this earth in preparation for eternity? Because if we don't, we may have a great life on this earth that we think we do, but we're going to spend eternity in hell. And that is not going to be great. Why should we turn to him? Because he loves us and he has made a plan for us on this earth and forever. So today is the day that we can turn to Jesus. As we look at these people in heaven who are worshiping him in verse 11, we see that they recognize Jesus and we can too. It says, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is the new song. In verse 9, he's worthy because of who he is and what he's done for us. Now he's worthy to receive all of these things. He's only worthy because he is God and he is our Redeemer. Remember in verse 12, it says worthy. That means that Christ is deserving. What's he worthy of? We see him also described again as the lamb that was slain. 
is worthy to receive power. In 1 Corinthians one we're told that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So now he's receiving that power as the one who could open the seals and usher in the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on an unbelieving world. It says he's worthy to receive riches. Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it tells us that, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave it all up. According to Philippians 2, 5 through 10, he took the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself. He gave up his godhood so he could die for us. He became poor. Well, now he's rich. He is in control, in authority, and he has all riches and he's going to pour them out on us. And he is worthy to receive wisdom. When we look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that's another verse that brings in wisdom. And might, it says, power and might here we see, and honor. Jesus is worthy of honor and glory and blessing. Honor in First Timothy 1, 17, we see that honor when it says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In John 1, 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among him, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The world is seeing that now. Certainly they're seeing it in heaven because all of these creatures in heaven are worshiping Jesus for these qualities that he has. He's always had them because he's God. But now as the lamb who was slain, he is the one worthy to open the seals for the future, to tell us what's going to happen, to prepare the world for the wrath of God that's going to come upon this world. Oh, how God wants people to see Jesus in this way so that they would turn to him. And then verse 13 continues. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or in the sea and all the things in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory and the dominion forever and ever. We see those people again, but a different group of people, every created thing. Now, that's not just people. That's the heavens and the earth. That's the stars and the sun and the moon. Every created thing which is in the heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's a different statement in there is on the sea. We saw that earlier in chapter five, verse three where it says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book. Now we see everyone who's in heaven and on earth and again on the sea who is worshiping Jesus. Now I'm reminded again of Philippians 2.10. That passage tells us that God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means there's coming a time when everyone will recognize that Jesus is God. That doesn't mean they're going to be saved because those under the earth are people who've died who are not in heaven. 
So Jesus will declare himself as God to them, and they will mourn over that. But here it shows how every person eventually will recognize Jesus as Lord. But verse 13 also adds to it the created thing. If we go back to Genesis chapter 6, we see that when God destroyed the earth by flood, he destroyed, of course, all the people and all the creatures. But it wasn't just the people. It was the earth because it says the earth was corrupt also at that time, along with the people. So now we're going to see that everything that God made is going to worship God, going to worship Jesus. And how are they going to worship him? By saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Well, there's something different here. We're all of a sudden seeing the worship of both God the Father and God the Son at the same time. We saw worshiping God the Father in chapter 4. We saw worshiping Jesus the Son in chapter 5. And now we're seeing that these two are being worshiped together in chapter 5, right before the pouring out of the wrath. It is God who's determining what the future is going to hold. It's Jesus who's going to be the one to carry out that future wrath. Just as he gave us salvation and there's salvation in no one else, there is also going to be punishment. There's going to be wrath. Jesus is going to be the one that pours that out. Isaiah 42, 8 is a very important verse. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God would never allow himself and Jesus to be worshiped together if Jesus wasn't God. Remember the first two commandments? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And then you shall make no graven images. So you have two commandments there from God where he will not allow anyone to usurp his authority. He goes on under that second commandment in Exodus 20 to say, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children, to the third and fourth generation for those who turn away from me. God will not allow others to be worshiped. And yet here he and Jesus are worshiped together. Think of the power of this. Think of God who's written the future. Think of Jesus who's opening the seals. Think of the devastation that's going to come upon this world. But before it does, God gives us one last chance to turn to Jesus. And oh, how we should. Then we end in Revelation 5, 14 saying, and the four living creatures kept saying, amen, which means so be it, the end. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So in that last part of verse 13, we talked about the blessing, the honor, and the glory, but there's also the word dominion, which is very important, that he will have dominion forever and ever. What exactly is dominion? I think when we talk about in Genesis, man was given dominion over the earth until he sinned. In the meantime, Satan has exercised a type of dominion over the earth, but dominion belongs to Jesus forever and ever. So explain that. Well, you've just mentioned, I think, and that is the power, the control. Remember when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over the animals to name them and to have control over them. He gave them dominion over the earth to be fruitful and multiply with regard to the fruit of the earth, but also procreating in their lives. 
they lost that dominion. They lost that authority, which is really what it is, authority to be in control. Satan gained that authority. He is now in control of our world. Now, obviously, God is God and he is ultimately in control. But because sin is in the world, Satan is the one who has dominion. We see that in 1 John chapter 5, where it says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It does right now, but... Fortunately, we know who wins. We know that Jesus conquers when he returns and that the world will then become his dominion. I think it's well explained in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In that passage, Daniel said, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. That's such a great picture of what we've just seen here in Revelation 5, how Jesus is coming up as the Son of Man before the Ancient of Days God seated on his throne. Daniel 7.14 then says, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That's Jesus. To Jesus was given those things. That all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when it says here that Jesus was given a dominion, he was given glory and he was given a kingdom, that's his kingdom on earth, his millennial kingdom, where we will reign with him, as will anyone who survives the tribulation period who has believed in the Messiah. Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years. He will have control of earth. He will have dominion. His glory will be shown. He will have a kingdom. And then all the peoples are going to serve him. And then when it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion, Jesus forever from the moment he returns, he reigns. He reigns on earth for a thousand years. And then when that's over, we will go into eternity according to Revelation 21 and 22. Well, we have this eternal dominion, this eternal place where God and Jesus reign. So dominion means authority, power, control, really a kingdom. And Jesus has that kingdom. God, it says here in Revelation 5:13, both God and Jesus are being honored for their dominion, which is everlasting. It will never end, just as Daniel 7 says. Well, I would rather choose a kingdom with the Trinity God on the throne with him forever in a positive environment, worshiping him than the alternative. It's a decision, however, we have to make. And once we die, it's too late. That's it. This is the last we're going to see for a while about heaven. We will see some different passages as we go through the rest of Revelation. But this is the main opportunity from now on. When God's wrath is poured out, people are going to be turning away from him. Now, people will come to know the Lord during the time of the tribulation period because there will be evangelists. But most of the world is going to turn away from him. Think about it. If people didn't turn to God now because of his love, why would they turn to him because of his wrath? I mean, really, we have everything we could possibly have in this world because of God. And we're turning away from him. When he starts pouring out his wrath, people will get mad. They will go to their own resources and they will blame God instead of turning to God. Now is the time to turn to him when he shows us his love. Will you commit your life to Jesus Christ today? 
before it's too late. Will you simply pray a prayer acknowledging that you're a sinner? A prayer something like this saying, God, I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I can't do anything right in this world apart from you, that I cannot enter heaven because of my sin. I need a Savior, and that Savior is God, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, who rose from the dead to conquer death. Oh, God, I want to follow you with all my heart. I don't know how to do it, but I know you'll show me. I commit my life to following you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer or something like it, committing your heart, not just your head to Jesus, you are his creature. You will not go through this tribulation period. You will get to spend eternity as priests in the kingdom of God forever. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.